Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. There's an epidemic of a different kind around us, one which James identified in his world 2,000 years ago. Now, here's the thing, my friends. James isn't writing about the world, quote-unquote, out there. He's writing to people in the church about people in the church. (laughs) And here's my question for you, or a couple questions. Do you have the same problem in your church? Here's a couple, like, analysis questions. What is the root cause, and what is the evidence of this root cause? How do you know if you have the disease? Here's the thing to remember. Prayerlessness is being out of communion with God. (laughs) It might be a whole lot more than that, but (laughs) as it's going to touch down for us today, uh, welcome, hopeful ones. Welcome to today's slice of our Monday through Saturday journey through the Bible in a year time together. And here we read through every bit of God's revelation of himself and consider our own life stories in light of that. And today, that touches down in James chapter 4 for our New Testament segment. Now, people who live without God, broadly speaking, right, literally or functionally, people who live without God face five dangers. It stifles the prayer life is the biggie. That's the root cause, right? It makes them a friend of the world and an enemy of God, and they neglect God's will in their lives. It produces insult and slander of fellow believers, and it produces people who plan their lives without seeking God. Hence, my summation of that in this line, prayerlessness is being out of communion with God. Now, I want you to listen for those different chunks here as we dive in. James chapter 4. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it is without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. But he He gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I'm just going to pause right there, my friends. What's that? What's he talking about with that weird language? Uh, Well, I know the language sounds weird, but he's not talking about having no joy. He's talking about or making a contrast here, broadly speaking, between the kind of mirth that comes when you live with the world, when you're friends with the world versus that which happens when you um, when you uh, what's the word I'm looking for? When you are humble before God, right? So the the purification demanded should take the form of repentance, right? The the joy that we experience comes from from submitting our earthly, secular uh, what's the word I'm looking for sinful desires to the joy that comes from the holy filling of the Holy Spirit. I hope that makes some sense without me trying to dive in and do a full-on exposition. But I know that sounds weird, so I'm going to read that again. So keep that in mind. Here we go. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. And if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save or, and or to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, ah, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. James chapter 4, my friends. (laughs) Ain't nothing like a little bit of him getting in your business. So uh, I know this is kind of a, a summation, but if... If we go back to at least what I'm proposing is a summation here, prayerlessness is being out of communion with God, right? Humble ourselves before God is a recognition that it's him and his pattern. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Revelations, uh, Revelations, Romans 12, 2. Prayerlessness is a root not all of, but a key element of being in communion, in step with, abiding with God. Consequently, prayerlessness is being out of communion with God. All right, turn into our Old Testament segment. I hope that makes some sense. Our Old Testament segment, um, just a reminder, the 
previous kind of chunk of the book of Numbers signaled this restart with Israel's second generation, right? The, the original generation died in the wilderness because of their sin, and now we know who the new generation is, had the new uh, census. And yesterday we began this section that added to earlier legislation that was oriented toward life in the land, in the promised land. And it addressed uh, Israel's regular offerings and those for various holy days and festivals. And today, that was getting us up to chapter 28. And today we finished that. And then a passage lays out legislation for various vows. So what's the key? This, my friends, arouses hope that a well-taught nation will recall, will remember how far Yahweh has brought them and launched them in this long-deferred conquest and settlement of the Promised Land. And I hope, I haven't even looked ahead, but I hope, I trust that this actually will touch down with this idea of prayerlessness being out of communion with God. Numbers chapter 29 to kick off today. You are to hold a sacred assembly in the seventh month on the first day of the month, and you are not to do any daily work. This will be a day of trumpet blasts for you. Offer a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One young bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all unblemished, with their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts with the bull, four quarts with the ram, two quarts with each of the seven male lambs, and also offer one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for yourselves. These are in addition to the monthly and regular burnt offerings with their prescribed grain offerings and drink offerings. They are a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. All right, going to pause. We may just take a little bit to get through this. So that's kind of like the festival of trumpets is, is what that's often referred to. But notice this line. This is in, these are in addition to the monthly and regular burnt offerings. So when we think about what is the giving, right? We should be careful not to be too legalistic about tithe being 10%. Because in reality, the commands in the Old Testament that were modeled was that the tithe was the beginning, not the end, right? And then there's these other things. It's like, hey, and in addition to that, here's some more. All right, continuing. You are to hold uh, offerings for the Day of Atonement. Here we go. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the 10th day of this seventh month and practice self-denial. You do not do any work. Present a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, one young bull, one ram, a seven male lambs, a year old. All your animals are to be unblemished. Their grain offering is to be of fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts with the bull, four quarts with the ram, two quarts with each of the seven lambs, one male goat for the sin offering, regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering are in addition to the sin offering of atonement. Next section, offerings for the festival of shelters. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the 15th day of the seventh month. You are not to do any daily work. You are to celebrate a seven day festival to the Lord. 
present a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs a year old. They are to be unblemished. Their grain offering is to be fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts for each of the thirteen bulls, four quarts with each of the two rams, two quarts with each of the fourteen lambs. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to... The regular burnt offering with its grain on drink offerings. On the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, and 14 male lambs, all unblemished. And then it kind of repeats. Are you with me? Also, offer one male goat as a sin offering. On the third day, pause. My friends, this is one of those verbal skimming passages. And if you're newer around here and don't know what that is, we're, we read here kind of like we read when we're doing this like for ourselves. And we go, oh, it says the same thing over and over and over and over again. And we don't read every single one. So we saw it with 13 bulls and then 12 bulls. And then on the third day, 11 bulls. And then on the fourth day, 10 bulls. And the fifth day, nine bulls. Now, each time it says still Two rams, 14 male lambs. You with me? Sixth day, eight bulls. Seventh day, seven bulls. Eighth day is a little different. On the eighth day, you are to hold a solemn assembly. You are not to do any daily work. Present a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, all a year old, all unblemished with their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, rams, and lambs in proportion to their number. Also, offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offerings with its grain and drink offerings. Offer these to the Lord at your appointed times in addition to your vow and free will offerings, whether burnt, grain, burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, or fellowship offerings. So Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord had commanded him. Now that wraps up Numbers 29. Important that the writer here, in this case Moses, inserts that this, this is an act of obedience that Moses has received and is passing along, meaning it is from the Lord to do this. Okay? Continuing. Regulations about vows, chapter 30. Moses told the leaders of the Israelite tribes, this is what the Lord has commanded when a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under an obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he has promised. When a woman in her father's house during her youth makes a vow to the Lord or puts herself under an obligation, and her father hears about her vow or the obligation she put herself under, and he says nothing to her, all her vows and every obligation she put herself under are binding. But if her father prohibits her on the day she hears, he hears about it, none of her vows and none of her obligations she put herself under are binding. The Lord will release her because her father has prohibited her. If a woman marries while her vows or the rash commitment she herself made are binding, and her husband hears about it and says nothing to her when he finds out, her vows are binding and the obligations she has put herself under are binding. But if her husband prohibits her when he hears about it, she, he will cancel her vow that is binding or the rash commitment she has herself made. And the Lord will release her. <laughs> and I just got to say, my uh, my better half said, so if I 
put a bunch of things on my credit card and you deny that. Does that mean? Yeah, that's funny. Um, obviously, this is a cultural thing back then, but we read it and we'll touch base on this here. We got a few more words and, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this. Every vow a widow or a divorced woman puts herself under is binding on her. If a woman in her husband's house has made a vow or put herself under an obligation with an oath and her husband hears about it and says nothing to her and does not prohibit her, all her vows are binding and every obligation she puts herself under are binding. But if her husband cancels them on the day he hears about it, nothing that came from her lips, whether her vows or her obligation is binding, her husband has canceled them and the Lord will release her. Her husband may confirm or cancel any vow or any sworn obligation to deny herself. If her husband says nothing at all to her from day to day, he confirms all her vows and obligations, which are binding. Pause, which is kind of like an argument from silence. He has confirmed them because he said nothing to her when he heard about them. But if he cancels them after he hears about them, he will be responsible for her commitment. These are the statutes that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the relationship between a man and his wife or between a father and his daughter in the house during her youth. End of chapter 30. My friends, what do we do with that? Well, um, without us going on too long, because this is primarily a Bible reading as opposed to an ongoing Bible study, think about it this way. Yeah, in, a, in a culture with very different sociopolitical f- and familial rules or obligations, Uh, Yes, it was patriarchal, but I think the best analogy is a bit like today, if there was a business and somehow in our culture, it was okay. If, if you worked in my business and you went and made a deal with somebody and I heard, and I, as the business owner heard about it, I could either affirm it or cancel it before in a sense it became ratified. Are you with me? Right. Like, so if you went in as an employee, went and made an agreement with somebody else, then it was kind of like there's final veto power with the CEO. I'm not saying it's perfect. What I'm saying is that's an analogy here that is very different in this culture 3,500 years ago. It's very different than what we think of often when we field objections going, oh, this is a patriarchal men owning women thing, which, you know, I'm not saying it's not weird. It was 3,500 years ago. What I am saying, however, is that if we also compare and contrast this to the, the context of, of women's lives in surrounding cultures, and a lot of study has been done about this. If we look at the, it, what what the Old Testament does for women and children in the context of the surrounding cultures of the ancient Near East, this was a major step forward in terms of human flourishing and, in a sense, the rights and protections of those involved. So I'm just going to leave it right there. We're going to wrap up with our wisdom segment in Proverbs. We pick up today in chapter 19. Better a poor person who lives with integrity than someone who has deceitful lips and is a fool. Even zeal is not good without knowledge, and the one who acts hastily 
sins. A person's own foolishness leads him astray, yet his heart rages against the Lord. I think that is a killer proverb to repeat, particularly in light of where we begin the day in James chapter 4. A person's own foolishness leads them astray, yet his heart rages against the Lord. <laughs> don't, don't we see that over and over? Oh, you know, my life is a mess. It's not my fault, though. I'm going to blame God. <laughs> my friends, where do we start? Prayerlessness is being out of communion with God. And how did, and I mean, how did James 4 begin? What is the source of wars and fights among you? Right? And yes, you could even look at that as like wars as in world wars, but he's talking to people in the church. And then he goes, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and don't have, etc., etc. <laughs> don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Kind of what the guy in Proverbs was saying a whole lot of years earlier. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.